Those are powerful words. Those are good words for North Americans. Those are good words for Ugandans. I had the privilege of watching the author of that song sing that song in Uganda. It was very touching and very moving. And it's, it's very real to us here as it is to them there. You know, uh, it takes faith. Set your wings to the winds of faith, but it's not according to the strength of your wings. It's according to the strength of the wind. It's by grace. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads together in a word of prayer. If you want to set your wings this morning and say, Lord, pour in the faith this morning. Raise the winds and raise me on the winds, Lord, this morning. Why don't you just make your request known to him? Wonderful Redeemer. You're the one that we love and adore, who has revealed yourself to us in such a mighty way. Individually, Lord, not just to the age, but individually, Father. And Lord, we hear the Spirit speaking, come up higher. Set your wings. Draw nearer to me. And we say we will draw nearer, Lord. We say we will respond to your word, Father. We're here, Lord, to receive what you have for us this morning. Just take complete control, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. May you come to every individual and make yourself very, very real this morning, O oh God. We are expecting the supernatural. We're not here for the natural. We can have that any time, any day. But Lord, we're here this morning because you said you would be here this morning. And our hearts are glad to be here. Our souls rejoice as we come into your presence this morning. Take complete control of this service. Anoint the speaker, the listener. Lord, may each one be especially anointed of you. And Father, we just yield ourselves to you that you'll direct the service the way you want it to go. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. You may have your seats for a few minutes. This is Missionary Sunday, and I'm thankful for the opportunity. I don't always get to be in service with the amount of traveling that we do sometimes, but it's good to be here. This is a great place. I still remember my first service here. Uh, not here, but in the log church. And uh, it was powerful then, and it's still powerful now. And we thank God that He's still with us. And we want to do everything in our power that he'll abide here and continue to anoint this place. And thank you to the musicians. Um, I just want to bring you up to date, brother. As Brother Tom has mentioned, Brother Stephen Ibali will be with us this coming weekend. So I don't want to preempt anything that he's going to say, but I'm sure he has a lot of personal firsthand testimonies that you'll want to hear uh, of supernatural and extraordinary and sovereign things that are taking place in Uganda in this end time. And I appreciate the burdens of each and every one that we still have the uh, graph up in the back. I think we're approaching $120,000 of the $200,000 goal for Uganda. And uh, uh, there are certainly needs. Uh, I think the Sunday School has launched a Bibles for Uganda project. Is that right? Has it been launched? Uh, it has been launched. And, uh, but, you know, Bibles are something that's in need in all poor countries. And I think before long, they're going to have to change it to Bibles for Africa. I think Brother John was mentioning his trip to Malawi, noticed a shortage of Bibles. And, uh, you know, this is the foundation of our faith. 
this is a sacred document. And, and to, we sometimes do take it for granted, but there's many places of the world that don't take it for granted. And uh, Brother John was uh, talking about a young man. Was it you or your son that gave him $20? It was Timothy that gave him $20. And the $20 is almost a month's wage for someone in that country. And so he, was, he said, I'm going to take this and I'm going to buy a Bible. Praise be to God. You wouldn't think nothing of taking somebody to Starbucks and spending almost $20. It just, it just be just, you know, we wouldn't hardly miss it. But there, it, it means a whole lot to them. And what meant a whole lot to that young man was, this is the most important thing to me. And so God bless the brothers and the Sunday school, Brother Richard Drake and everyone that's involved in that. I, I think we ought to just have a fund just for Bibles and the Sunday school students and obviously their parents and, and everybody that is involved in that. God bless you. And uh, we've already been able to purchase 500 Bibles in Uganda. And uh, 100 of them are English, 400 of them are in the Luganda language. And so we thank God for that. I was hoping this morning to tell you or to show you a picture of the 5,000 copies of the church age book that have landed in the country, but they're still tied up in customs, and they've been tied up in customs for a number of days now. But they promised us by tomorrow they'll be released. <laughs> and so we just missed it by a day, but we're so glad for that first printing. But it looks like the channel of distribution from China through Kenya into Uganda is being established, and we have several other large books that we uh, have uh, that we are going to print as well. We have uh, some storage space there and a small office, temporary office for a distribution center and a print station and, uh, and to be able to organize these things and send them out into the countryside and take them to different churches and all of those kind of things. That's all now in place. And so uh, logistically, it's all ready to support what's going on supernaturally. And uh, we thank God for his help in that. And thank God for all of your contributions. Uh, the, all the funds for, we have enough funds on hand to print all of the books. And some have given specifically to print books and to carry that forward. And, and so we thank God for all of that. Um, and uh, even... One of our local coffee brewers, not brewers, roasters, has, uh, has made a, uh, he said, Brother Tim, I don't know if I should mention his name or not, but I'll just say, he said, Brother Tim, I'm donating Ugandan coffee. So he says, whatever people will pay for it, I'll give that to Uganda. He bought the, the green beans <laughs> from Uganda and says, so people maybe want a taste of Uganda, they can buy Ugandan coffee. So there you go. I won't mention his name, but he leads songs here. And uh, so you can go and see him about getting coffee for Uganda or Uganda coffee or whatever way you want to put it. Amen. You can put the slides up for me for a moment. Just a brief uh, update of what's happening there uh, in Uganda. What's going on right now, even while the brothers have taken a little bit of a respite for about a month, Brother Stephen Abali has been in North America for a few weeks. Brother Fred has been kind of recuperating for a few weeks in his home church before they go out into the field again because there are still many, many that are waiting to be baptized. 
And uh, right now, the, uh, uh, they are conducting ministers' meetings there in Uganda, and that is the, uh, what's going on, teaching the new ministers the rudiments of the revelation that has been revealed in this day. And so, you know, you can well imagine it's no different for a minister coming into the message than it is for anybody else. There are things that you have never heard before seen in the Scripture that are all all of a sudden becoming alive to you. And so there's instruction that's needing to happen. And the, and the brothers, I'll be honest, I, I wish I was there helping and, and just going services from day to day. But they have mature ministers there in the country. This is Brother Fred, who is ministering to ministers there and instructing them. And, uh, and so that is what's going on right now in the country. Another thing that's happening is these new churches are gathering and... Uh, um, they, uh, I don't know, brothers. Oh, I see. Here's the notes here. Uh, uh, this is the church in, it says Galatia. It almost is like Galatia. And, uh, and so this church is gathering. You see, they have no place to gather. They're just gathering in a yard. And, uh, this is the church in Nakadindiri and, uh, same thing. They're just gathering in a yard. They've been uh, expelled from their denominational buildings. And uh, this is the church in uh, uh, Kitashia, if I say it right. I guess it would be Chitashia. And uh, I'm trying to learn their lingo. And they have their very rudiments of a structure that they're beginning, putting some sticks, tying them together as they're gathering there. I see they have one torn tarp in the background there that is trying to shelter a few people there by the pulpit. This is the church in uh, uh, Meiri, and this is the pastor, Jackson Kasozi, up in the corner there. Uh, This is a rented facility. This is not their facility, I understand. And uh, also this is the church in uh, Nansana, and their pastor, Brother uh, Julius uh, Lubulwa, if I say that correctly, please excuse me if the brothers are watching and I'm butchering their names. I'm sorry, but this is another rented facility. It's a rented tent, actually. And uh, so they have uh, needs for structures, and, and I've just, these are several churches that I've just talked to Brother Fred about. These are the most urgent ones, and we are just sending them uh, a few hundred dollars to each church to erect a structure and put some tarps over it. So at least they have some shelter from the elements to be able to worship. I think that's worthwhile. Amen. Amen. And so, uh, you know, these are souls that are in a a poverty-stricken country who have no place of worship, and they would do it if they could. The problem is they can't. And so uh, our burden is to help them in whatever way we can, and in the entire budget of this uh, we'll say a budget in the entire whatever God supplies in this um, in this move. I, I hate calling it a project because it's not really a project. It's just a response to a need. Be no different if a hurricane, like the hurricane that struck in the Philippines and wiped out hundreds of homes and, and over a dozen churches, and, and we stepped in with many churches around the world to help supply the need. It's the same type of situation. They would do it if they could, but they can't. 
And so here they are, these groups that have needs. And uh, so we've, we're taking the initial step to send some funds to uh, raise some temporary structures. And some of them are going to need some per, uh, more permanent. This church, actually the Nansana church, a permanent structure will not suffice them because, or excuse me, a temporary structure will not suffice them with tarps over sticks because it's in the city. And uh, those tarps would disappear overnight. There's a high crime rate in the cities. And so uh, we can't just send tarps and and help them buy some sticks or something. We're going to have to do something a little more permanent for this church. And we're just believing God. Will you believe with us? Set your wings to the winds of faith. Amen. That's what we're doing. And believing the God that has begun the work will finish it. Amen. This is the church here in uh, Majira. You remember this church? Uh, I mentioned it from my trip. Uh, here I am preaching in the church, so you get an idea again. They had some poles, but the tarps were, were very torn and tattered. And so uh, uh, the rain was certainly getting in. I was thankful that there was enough protection over the pulpit while I preached because it was raining at the beginning of the service. And then, uh, so we sent over some funds. So just to give you an idea, about $500 bought them enough tarps to close them in and protect them from the elements. So that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about uh, large uh, structures of, of great beauty. We're talking a bare minimum so people can sit under a cover and worship God. I think that's a worthwhile thing to do. Amen. And these are our brothers and sisters, and so we're certainly burdened for them. So that's where we are now. Uh, next month, Brother Fred tells me they'll be going back out into the countryside and meeting with churches and, and uh, baptizing those that are desiring baptism. Uh, I mentioned last time I spoke that there were 30 Baptist ministers that had been baptized, and, and there's uh, more there that are feeding on the Word of God and the churches, and God is raising up individual individuals amongst these groups, individual pastors that have really caught the revelation of the Word and are really digging in and are beginning to lead their people into further light. And uh, no doubt you'll hear about those things specifically when Brother Stephen Abali is with us, and we'll certainly uh, enjoy, you'll, you'll enjoy that. I know I'll enjoy, he's got a solid ministry, and also telling us about what's happening in Uganda, and that'll be next weekend. So I'm going to leave you there on Uganda, and just leave that for today uh, as far as a missions update. Are you ready for the Word of God? Amen. Amen. So let's take our Bibles, if you would stand together. We're going to go to the book of Ruth this morning. I was amazed how, you know, you're always amazed how God works. I'm not the type of person that just kind of picks a subject and preaches on it. Uh, I like to just wait on the Lord and wait on the Lord and wait on the Lord and finally arrive at a thought, maybe God's been dealing with me about something or, or might be something else. Uh, but I'm amazed at how from several different directions this morning, the Lord had been uh, dealing with individuals in the same channel. And no doubt many of you here 
will experience the same thing this morning because God is supernatural. This service is not just for instruction. This service is a, uh, an order or a, uh, a channel through which the Holy Spirit will confirm his dealing in your life individually. And he'll come to you this morning and speak to you if you'll open your heart to him and make yourself sensitive. And now we'll just shut out everything else and just say, Lord, speak to us this morning. Let's just bow our heads one more time. Father, as we read these scriptures, and we have many scriptures and, and uh, context noted down here this morning, but Lord, I just want to yield myself to you that you might take this service the way you want it to go. This is missions-oriented, but it's not just speaking about the foreign fields, but it's our part individually in the great body of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, take control. Anoint the speaking and the hearing of your word. Your word can never fail. The words of a man are weak and feeble, but your word will never pass away. We commit ourselves to you for your glory in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Ruth chapter 2 and verse 4. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers. Now we could stop right there and say now we're seeing a type of the end time. Because even in Matthew 13, the tares and the wheat grew together. But let them grow together till the harvest time. And then the reapers will come and the tares will be separated from the wheat. So we're in that time where the reapers are on the field and the separation is happening. So he said unto the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him and the Lord blessed you, bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, whose damsel is this? Speaking of Ruth. And the servant was that was said over the reapers answered and said, it is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now. And she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, hearest thou not my daughter? Go not to glean in another field. Neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Now, I'll just drop this in because I'm not actually speaking specifically on the process of Ruth here. But when Naomi heard this, she gave instruction to Ruth. She says, don't ever be found in another place. Boaz has spoken to you. He's given you the liberty of his field. Stay there. All right. And so... She said, he said, let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him. These are words that we all could say. Why have I found grace in your sight? Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, 
seeing I am a stranger. And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been shown me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and thou, how thou hast left thy father, thy mother, in the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Amen. Amen. The Lord has blessing to the word. You may be seated. Under whose wings thou art come to trust. Now Ruth had come to a place of a new existence. A totally new relationship to God. She had come under a different covenant that she had, than what she had been born under. And, and when, she, when she lost her husband and her mother-in-law lost her husband... And the other son of her mother-in-law had died also. And uh, so they found themselves in the midst of a storm. And I want you to just catch that now. Uh, I'll come back to that thought. But many are the storms of life that happen. And those are times that we reach out for something that is secure. There's a storm striking the East Coast I think it might, they might just be in the tail end of it now, but, but they, were, they were hammering down the windows. They were covering the windows with plywood, and they're, they're preparing, and they're evacuating, and they're warning the people and declaring states of emergency. There's a storm coming, and you need to be prepared. And I, I can say this morning, uh, spiritually speaking, you may not realize it, but there's a storm coming. You know, it comes all of a sudden. As the Drake family found out with the lost loved ones, it can come so suddenly upon you. And, uh, and death reminds us how weak we are. And how, it, death is a final, it's final and it's a period at the end of the sentence. And, and once death happens, there's nothing you can do. You know, often we pray for sick people. We pray for people that are suffering. We pray for people that are lost. We pray for our loved ones. But once they've gone to the other side, they've gone to their reward. And, and whatever uh, their relationship was with God on this side, that is where they will end up. Now... How, there are these storms that take place, and, I, and, and I'll just say, you need to be in a position where you know where is a place of security. Now, to Naomi and Ruth, the security that they had, they lost. They lost the husband, the head of the house, they lost the two young men, all of that was lost, and so there was three women left. And, and Ruth was confronted with a situation, do I go back to my old security, or I'll say it this way, to my old relationships, or do I embark on a journey that I don't know where it will take me, but it means an entirely new set of relationships in my life. And as they came to leave with Naomi, we know that Orpah went back, but Ruth made this statement, your God will be my God. And your people will be my people. In other words, my entire life I now put in this new relationship. Are you with me? Because I'm speaking on trusting 
because of relationship. Everything that we are and everything that we believe has to come back, not to knowledge, but to our relationship with God. We can't, un- we can't trust our understanding. We can't trust our works. We can't trust our own goodness. Things happen that change all of a sudden. As our brother sang this morning, Brother George sang about the storm passes over. And things become so uncertain. Relationships are something that are established and something that is very real. And I want to say this morning, what is your relationship to God? Do you understand your relationship to God? Because it is our relationship to God by the new birth that we can trust in. And in God, we can trust. And I know Brother Branham talked about it in his day, and it certainly is true in this day. You know, it used to be that America put their trust in God. When they wrote the Constitution, you know, they said, they talked about God in every situation. They had the empty chair in the meeting hall uh, as his place for Jesus to be. They had, they had, uh, uh, they mentioned him in their prayers and so on and so forth. But now, Brother Branham said they have meetings, they don't even mention God. They have conferences they don't even mention God. He says they become to rely upon their science and their, their intellect and their technology, and it's even worse in this day. They don't want to hear about God, and they don't want to trust in anything else but what they have devised out of their own mind. But David says it this way in Psalm 62. He says, my soul, wait thou only upon God. For my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. And then he says, trust in him at all times. You people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Amen. Don't trust anything else. Trust in God. Trust. The word here means to confide. It means to put your hope in. It means to seek refuge. It means to flee for protection. You know, I was thinking about the people in in the Carolinas as they were fleeing from the coast. I thought, but where will they go? Where's their protection? Maybe there's some relatives somewhere. Maybe there's something somewhere, but there's a lot of people that have nothing. Uh, David says, flee to him for protection. Flee to him. He's our refuge. He's He's our rock. And the word refuge and rock are synonymous. The Lord is our rock and our salvation. Are you with me so far? Solomon puts it in Proverbs. He says, every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Isaiah says it this way. He says, for thou hast been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm. Yeah. 
a shadow from the heat, when the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. Amen. Where do you run to in those times? You better be in relationship with God. What other place is there but the relationship with God to tide us over? Everything else is fleeting. Everything else can crumble and fall. And certainly we're living in an age where things are going to crumble and fall. And the uncertainty of the hour and the insanity of the hour have become so great. But God has revealed himself in this hour. And revealing himself, he becomes our refuge. He becomes our hiding place. He becomes our rock. He becomes our salvation. He becomes the one in whom we trust. No matter what happens, no matter those in the, you know, as Moses wrote, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. We may have horses, we may have chariots, we may have homes, we may have a city, we may have a church, we may have all these things. Brother Branham even said, don't trust in men. He said, don't trust in ministers, don't trust in a church, don't trust in anything man-made. I want to say trust only in God. The phrase in God we trust is not an American phrase, it's a believer's phrase. They put it on their coins, but we put it in our hearts. The Bible says in Psalms 91, it says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. This this is very powerful. Very, very powerful. I'll come back to it, but I just want you to realize Ruth, to Ruth, it was a secret. She didn't know what was waiting for her. She didn't know what was about to be revealed to her. She didn't know the security that was there that God had provided to Israel. For those who walked in his word, there was security. And Boaz was waiting for Ruth, but he didn't know what he was waiting for. All he knew was, nothing that I've seen so far is what I'm looking for. But God had a secret, and the secret was hidden in plain view. I'll say it again. The secret was hidden in plain view. It was for them to see, but it had to be revealed to them. And something struck Ruth that says, it was an inspiration from God. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. In other words, every relationship that I've known previously is as sinking sands to me. That's a, listen, I realize that's a strong statement. But that had to be a strong statement for her. Hello? To be able to walk away from everything she was raised to know. And she had married this this Jewish man from a family that had moved into Moab because of a famine. But now God had visited Israel and the famine was over. But the men had died. And so, so now she's confronted with this new teaching that she had previously not been raised in, but she had heard it and she had come to, it had spoken to her heart 
the word had spoken to her heart, and now she's willing to say, you know what? I'm willing to lose my previous relationships to gain a different type of relationship. I'm willing to walk away from Baal to gain Jehovah. I'm willing to leave my parents behind to call your people my people. It wasn't just, well, you know, I got no choice. She had a choice. She could have gone back as Orpah went back, but she said, no, I'm starting a new relationship. That's the way it is with a believer in Christ. When you come to Jesus Christ, you're a new creature in Jesus Christ. It's a new relationship. It's a new something. And a relationship speaks about trust. It speaks about being able to trust someone. Now, my, my daughter told me, Dad, don't tell them we were talking about this around the table. Okay, so I won't do that. So she said, because they always ask me about our table discussions. But, you know, I, I, I asked some people who happened to be in the same room as I while we were eating a meal. <laughs> and I said, is there anything harder to do in life as a human being than to build a good relationship? I'll let you think about that now for a minute. Let, I, let them think about it. That's one of the most difficult things in life. Not that it's difficult to have a relationship. Some of us are born into relationships of not of our choosing. You can't choose your family. You, you, your siblings, your parents, you, you don't get to choose those. You can choose your friends, as they say. And, and, uh, but a relationship, building that relationship, because we're human beings because we're born in sin, and because a relationship is a bond between two human beings, it is one of the most difficult things to do. And I think the second most difficult thing to do at my age is lose weight. <laughs> I just threw that out there just to lighten it up just a little bit. Because we, it can, this subject can get real, real heavy. I've been thinking a lot about relationships, and even then while I was studying this, as the Lord uh, began to deal with me, I began to reflect on relationships, the value of relationships, changing relationships, how things change. And, but yet, re human relationship is the most rewarding thing that there is. But it comes with a cost. And it's what you put into it is what you get out of it. Are you with me? All right, let me just, I got to just deal with the subject of relationship before I get back to my subject here. In that, you know, we, we have in this age, I've, I think I mentioned it last time I preached, so I'm sorry for harping on it, but we have what's called social media. You know, in some of the social media, I was thinking about uh, uh, one in particular that they call, I think, Facebook. Is that the right word? Because there's FaceTime, but that's not social media. Facebook. Yes, I'm just seeing who knows and who nods. And Facebook, they, in Facebook you have, is it friends? All right, I'm just looking at young people here because they'll know. And I was thinking, you know, I could open an account, and if I'm diligent, 
I could probably within a month gain a hundred friends. You with me? Maybe I could do it in a day if I work really hard at it. I could gain a hundred friends in a day. Brother Andrew's laughing at me. He says, at me, he says no, you couldn't, Brother Tim. <laughs> or maybe if I'm really, really good, I could gain a hundred friends in an hour. But who can gain a hundred friends in an hour? What's the value of a hundred friendships that only take an hour to build? There's not much value in that. What you put into it is what you get out of it. And they actually, I don't need to go into all the studies. I'm sure you've heard it. And they actually show that that so-called social media actually makes you antisocial. And... And it's actually a kind of a paradox or a oxymoron because it, it's, it makes people become more reclusive, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But all of those things are not really relationships. Real relationships uh, have a trust factor to it, and that trust is earned over time. And it's something that the more you trust somebody, and that's why uh, a relationship is a hard thing to build. And I, I could talk about a man and a woman because, you know, when a young man approaches a young woman or a young woman is approached by a young man, you know, uh, they, they're interested perhaps in a relationship, but it's at a very rudimentary level because there's very little trust there. But over time, the trust begins to build. The communication, the, the watching of a life, the, the watching someone's actions and hearing their ambitions and all of those kind of things begins to build the level of trust in a relationship until finally, if all things go well, it comes to engagement. And then after engagement, it comes to marriage. And, and, and then, but even after you're married, there's still a building of a relationship. Can all the married couples say Amen. So it doesn't just happen just because you came to the altar and get a piece of paper, say, I'm now in relationship. You know, we've come to this stage and we've met the requirements of the word of God and we now are husband and wife. Therefore, we're in relationship. It still takes some effort on both parts to gain the trust of the other individual. And the amount of trust that you have in each other is the amount of quality of relationship that you have. If you'll just go with me on that. Brother Branham says in spiritual amnesia, he says, someone said not long ago, but Brother Branham, look at us Pentecostal people. What fine churches we got. Why, if we got ministers that's been trained. And then he says, when a man marries a wife, he doesn't trust in her beauty. No, he trusts in the loyalty of her vow, her word. He doesn't trust in her beauty he trusts in her loyalty. Right. And, and so he's, what he's talking about, he's taking, taking the natural marriage and typing it to the church. He says, you don't get married and say, look at how beautiful my wife is. I trust in her beauty. There's no trust in beauty. He, but rather it's her loyalty and her vow. It's her, it's her commitments. It's a certain trust level that has been gained. And so he, he says, that's the way when you marry to God. You don't trust some big, beautiful church you can build, but in the promise that Jesus Christ made. Amen? That I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what we're trusting in. 
We're not trusting in a building here. You know, we could, we could look at, at, I hope this is all right. It's awful quiet. You know, we could look at the, the beauty of this building. And, it's, and it is an elegant building. And it was well designed. Like anything, it has a few flaws, but it was well designed. And so it, it's, it's put, much thought was put into it. And it came by inspiration. And the leadership of the pastor and, and, and the brothers that were around him at that time to support him and, and, and encourage the work and to minister to the people. You can walk in the doors. You can sense there's a certain quality here. All right. Just by looking at the structure. A lot of thought and a lot of effort went into it. It wasn't just slapped together. Or I could say it wasn't a bunch of sticks with tarps on it. But a lot of thought went into place and a lot of effort and a lot of giving, a lot of commitment. And so, but yet we don't put our confidence in that. As great as that is, that's not where our confidence lies. But we look at the one that is behind it. We look at the one that's behind the pastor. When we come to church, we're not looking at the pastor or the other ministers and and say, oh, well, you know, uh, I've got a great relationship with these men. And because of my relationship, I can always rely. Brother Biscoe will never fail me. Or Brother Tom will never fail me. Or Brother John or Brother Tim or Brother Murphy or Brother so-and-so will never fail me. You can't trust in that because we're just men. And as good a relationship, and, and, off, and ministers are relationships. And as good a relationship you might have with ministers, you've got to trust that there's a God behind that man. That I'm trusting in the one that's leading him. I'm trusting in the one that's guiding his footsteps. I'm trusting in the one that's in control of him. And because I have trust in that God, I know he will never fail. Though a man fail, God will never fail. Though an individual fail, though I fail, though you fail, God never fails. And that is the trust of the relationship that we have as a believer that we have entered into with God. Brother Ram says, you've got to find God in a personal relationship and experience. He says, if you claim you have it and still live for the world, then there's something wrong. In other words, if you still have a relationship with God, if you claim to have a relationship with God, but you have a relationship with the world that is very strong, there's something wrong somewhere. You know, the love of the world is enmity to God. And when you love God, it pushes the world away from you. You got to deal with the world. You got to live in the world. You got you to handle all kinds of unclean things that are out there. That's why we have the washing of the water of the word. And why we need to be in the word all the time to wash us from the spirits that are out there in the world. But regardless of all that, it's our relationship with him that has to be so strong. The Lord Jesus Christ is everything. And if we have a relationship with him, it doesn't matter what storm comes by our way. The storm will pass over. It doesn't matter what things crash, what things happen, whether it be the economy, whether it be our job, whether it be our, our family, whether it be our health, whether it be whatever it is, all of those things can happen, but the relationship still holds. Amen. Amen. Now, there are different relationships. 
Servants can't have the relationship that a son has. Angels don't have the relationship with God that we have with God. What a privileged place we have. Even in family relationships, we can't have the right or the same expectations and in the midst of a, of a family situation, father or mother, children I'm speaking about, we all fit one of those descriptions. We all had a mother. We all had a father. And so we realize that it's wrong expectations that give us disappointments. Uh, I, I, I wasn't sure how personal I'd get this morning, but I just want to say a couple of things. Uh, I learned a lo- I've learned a lot about relationship in the last five years uh, since I lost my first wife, since my six years now, I guess. And uh, when I and I just I'm just sharing this with you for your own benefit to allow you to think about it and apply the word to your own life. Because I realized I began to realize a lot about my relationship with my children when I lost my wife because I realized that the relationship with my children these last five or six years has been more difficult without their mother. So, so that taught me one thing. It taught me that even my relationship to them as a father is connected to their relationship to their mother. And so there's, there, there's a great adjustment that takes place. So there's an aspect of being a father that can only be fulfilled through a mother. And if you can catch where I'm going there. So what I'm saying is that relationships can be intertwined and the children often relate to their father with the connection of the mother. And so when you take that out, and I'm just saying, by God taking it out of my life, taught me the importance of that connection. That you're not a father individually. And I say this to fathers. You're not a father individually. You need your wife. And to mothers, I say, you're not a mother individually. You need your husband. And the relationship with your own children is intertwined with the relationship of a husband and a wife, a mother and a father. And I'll say further that I realize that as an individual, I can say I'm Tim Dodd. And when, I, when, when someone hears the word Tim Dodd, it means something to them. If they've ever heard that name before, or if they know me, to some, it speaks of a father. To one, it speaks of a husband. To others, to many, I am a brother. And to some, I, I go overseas and, and I, they don't know me. It's, it's always interesting when I travel overseas and, in a new place. And, uh, and they, they say, oh, oh, nice to meet you, brother. What's your name? Uh, Tim Dodd. Uh, Tim Dodd, okay. And, there, and you can see the lights begin to flash. Like, I've heard that name before somewhere. And uh, time might go on, maybe a day or two goes by, and they come back. They go, you're that Tim Dodd that wrote the family altar book, aren't you? (laughs) And so initially they didn't connect. But after a couple days they realized, oh, I already am connected with this brother because I read the family altar book. And I use it for my daily devotions. And so, so there's a connection there. You understand what I'm saying? 
a relationship that, that I didn't know existed, and they didn't know existed, but when we finally meet face-to-face, it's often, oh, I'm so grateful, I'm so thankful, God bless you, I get inspired, I, I, I've been so blessed by the book, and so on and so on. And so it's, it's a connection to somebody that you don't even realize exists, but it's there. And there are different levels in relationships of trust. This, is all, this will all mean to you, something to you when we come to the end here. The highest level of trust, obviously, is between husband and wife. Because that is where the most intimacy is. There's a level of trust between children and parents. And that is affected over the years by different situations. But in all of it, without trust, there's no relationship. Now I'll just make a statement. When trust is lost, the relationship is broken. And it becomes something in need of repair. I can go further and say our relationships to God are all different. Though salvation is all the same. God doesn't deal with you the way he deals with me, and vice versa. God is an individual God to you individual. In many places, Brother Branham refers to God being able to trust an individual with certain things, what he couldn't trust another individual with. Brother Branham often talks about money that way. And, say, and even about his own self, as he looked at other ministers like uh, Oral Roberts and uh, uh, the other brother that was there in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and looked at their great big structures and all of the money that was poured into them and everything else, he says, I guess God knew he couldn't trust me with that. Now, whether that's true or not in the sense that he thought he would fail, I don't think it was a question of failure. I think he just knew the way that he dealt with Brother Branham. And... He might, excuse me, he might give all kinds of blessings to somebody, but that does not mean the intimacy of a relationship. And I can, I can even show in the Scripture how that there are different ministries, fivefold ministries that are gifted men of God, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And these are gifts in the body of Jesus Christ. But Brother Branham even says himself, God does not deal with a pastor the way he deals with a prophet. So that I could say God doesn't deal with a pastor the way he deals with a teacher, doesn't deal with a teacher the way he deals with an evangelist or the way he deals with an apostle. And so God deals with individuals according to what uh, confidence that he has in what he has put in that individual. And furthermore, God deals with you as an individual in confidence according to the character that he has put in you. Because the more character that he puts in you, which is guided by the things that he puts your life through, is the more revelation that he can pour into you. As Brother Branham was told, you've been given power to bind and power to loose. That was only based at a certain time of his life. It wasn't when he was first born again. It wasn't when he was first saved. It wasn't when he was first commissioned even. 
It wasn't when the angel of the Lord first appeared to him. There was things that he had to go through in his life as God began to build the character of the man because God wants to say, I have trust in this individual. And then he says to him, you have power to bind and you have power to loose. We all have all the promises of the word. All of the promises of the word are yea and amen. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you've got to earn the promises. The promises are all there when you're born again. When you're a son or daughter of God by the new birth, by the quickening of the Holy Spirit, every promise is yours. Everything is in full effect. But for God to pour in the revelation, which is faith, is dependent upon the character that has been molded in your life because a relationship is built. A relationship does not just happen. And God is building his relationship with his bride. Why are we still here? God's building a relationship. In church order, Brother Branham said, that's the reason God cannot trust too many spiritual gifts with people. They don't know how to control them. It's 1963, in case you're wondering, December. He says, that's what's the matter today. The reason we don't have no more than we do. And we do find out there's impersonations of, in spiritual, of spiritual gifts, but I don't believe that's so here in our church. He's speaking to Branham Tabernacle. He says, I'm thankful for that. I don't believe it's an impersonation at all. I believe we have genuine gifts, but... We must know how to control those gifts. So now we could even take a look at Brother Branham's life and show how that he was gifted as a prophet, but yet he couldn't just do whatever he wanted to do with those gifts. Are you with me? Why is that? Because he's in relationship with God. It's him and God. Regardless of what anybody else thinks, oh, Brother Branham, if you just come over here to Germany, we'll fly you over, and you, and you just uh, uh, rebuke this death that's on the child, the Stadscliff child, and you just come over, and I believe God will hear your prayer, and God will raise this child from the dead. And what did Brother Branham do? He had all faith in the promise of the word, but he began to seek God. Is it your will for me to go and do that? Is it your desire to raise that child from the dead? And so as he began to wait on God, finally God came to him and answered him and says, don't go. That's my hand that took that child's life. Sometimes we don't understand that. The child's just a baby. How could it be the hand of God? But maybe it would have grown up somewhere in some kind of a situation and something would have happened. And God says, now's the time. And God in his sovereignty took the life of that child. And we as an individual are not called to break the sovereignty of God. All right. So now Brother Branham in another place, he, he, he goes to pray for a woman. I hope you don't mind me sharing these instances here. But he goes to pray for a woman that's in the hospital. She'd been a part of the church. And she called for Brother Branham to come and pray for her. And she's laying in the church with a child. And the child has died in the womb. And, but the woman has anemia, or, or I can't remember what the case was, uh, septic or something. And, and so they couldn't take it from her because she, they would kill her. They had to wait for her to get better. And so she, she was laying there and she was going to die because the baby had died. And the whole situation was a storm in the midst of that family. And Brother Branham, as a prophet of God, goes and begins to uh, look to the Lord for the situation, and he prays for the woman, and he, the woman is healed. Praise the Lord. Amen. It's all over. And everybody's at rest. And every, Brother Branham goes home, 
And the next night, the, the woman says to her mother, I'm going home. Listen, these aren't stories. These are real situations. And she says, I'm going home. Mom says, well, what do you mean? You're, yeah, you know, they're going to take the baby now, and, and uh, you're going to come home. Everything's going to be good. No, 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 I'm going home. And just in a moment, she's gone. And Brother Branham turns to God in his relationship and says, God, you owe me an explanation. And he says, I, I prayed for her, and the family was believing in all these things. In his mind, he, ha he had it all figured out, at least in his thoughts of how it would unfold. But yet it all changed, and he cries out to God and says, God, you owe me an explanation. Then he says, don't ever say that to God, because God will leave you sitting. That's not the type of relationship that we have with God. It's not like you coming to me or me coming to you and saying, listen, you know, you said such and such a thing, Brother Mike, and, you know, I, I heard you, you texted me such and such a thing, and I, you owe me an explanation, like you just left it hanging there. That's different. That's just our relationship as human beings. But you know what? Our relationship with God doesn't revolve on that. We trust Him. We trust His sovereignty. And he wants to trust us with everything that he'll reveal to us. And Brother Branham says, God just left me sitting there. This is a prophet. This is a word for the hour. This is a man that spoke lip to ear with the angel of the Lord. This is a man that had revelations that some of the things he couldn't even tell us. And that's the thing about, you know, when God deals with an individual, and Brother Brown talks about these gifts you can't always say, he says you got to know how to control them. There's a lot of times that you can't even say what God has showed you. You've got to operate it the way God wants it operated. And so then, he says, after a little while, God revealed the situation. He said the woman's time to go was several months ago. He says she had died in a, in a river and drowned, but she wasn't ready to go. Thank God for his grace. Amen. You see, God doesn't take somebody that he's got his eye on unless they're ready to go. And so there they are, and he, he, he saved her from drowning. He says, but now she made her heart right. She's ready to go. Now's her time. I'm just paraphrasing the whole story for you. You see, God's got it all in control. If we can just have the right kind of relationship with him. Amen. I could ask a question this morning. How many of you brothers that are married completely understand your wife without question? Why are you chuckling? Don't stand up, Victor. All right? <laughs> I love Brother Victor and his, his confidence level in Sister Sarah. And, but I would say, how many of you sisters that are married completely understand your husband? And I shouldn't even look at you. I should just look up here. We could say, no, we don't. But we understand them better today than we did yesterday. And I trust we understand them better now than when we were first married. And there's been a growth of relationship. And we've come to an understanding and a level of trust. Well, isn't it the same with God? 
Do I understand everything about God? No, I don't. Does he understand everything about me? I think he does. I believe he does. But I don't understand everything about him. And sometimes I happen to believe that I make mistakes. And they aren't even necessarily sinful mistakes. They just maybe are sometimes doing things different than really the way he wants it done. Because I don't understand everything about him. And I don't understand everything in our relationship. But I can say tonight as I stand here after, oh, 1980, uh, 83 was the year I was saved. So 35 years ago that God saved me and brought me into the light of this message. I can stand here this morning and say, by God's grace, I understand him better today than I did 35 years ago. Amen. I'm not just tripping along, trying to be a Christian. There's been a, a growing in grace. There's been a growth in the relationship. And there's been a, a realization of how much I can trust him. And I can honestly say, because I understand him better, and I don't mean that intellectually, but uh, when, because I've grown in understanding, that I can honestly say that I trust him more. The things that would have bothered me in my early Christian life that I can say today, I just trust God. I know he's going to work it out. I know things are going to fall in place exactly the way they should. Brother Branham says, now friends, there's only one way in the world that you can be healed. And that's only faith in God. And he says, no matter how much that God will permit me by my own faith to take the spirit from you. Unless you go forth and believe God and serve God and trust God, it will come back to you again. My. So there's, you can absolutely come forward this morning and receive your healing, be prayed for, anointed with oil, whatever scripture is real to you, have hands laid on you, and you could go from this place absolutely delivered. But unless you serve God and believe God and trust God, that thing will come back on you. It's not just a matter of saying, oh, well, there's deliverance. No, there's got to be more than deliverance. There's keeping power. Not just delivering power, but there's keeping power. There, there's the ability of the Holy Spirit to keep that thing away from you. And no matter how much the devil knocks at the door, no matter how much he rattles the windows, no matter how much he stands on the outside and tries to tell you, really, you're susceptible to it, you can stand there and say, but I trust in God. He is my healer. He is my deliverer. He's my rock. He's my refuge. He's my provider. He's the mighty God. He's the shelter in the time of storm. Under his wing, I have come to trust. There's nothing between me and him. In him is everything that I have need of. And all that I have need of, I put into his hands. And we can trust him and allow him to build up our character until he trusts us just the way he wants to trust us. Brother Branham talked about Simeon, and he says, uh, Simeon there, when Jesus was born, he says, there was an old man there in the temple by the name of Simeon, an old Hebrew sage, long white beard, perhaps in his 80s, long white hair. He was a just man. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. I like that, don't you? God has never at any time left himself without a witness. 
Let that sink in. Today, God has a witness. September the 16th, 2018, God has a witness. I believe God has many witnesses on the earth today. God has never left himself without a witness. Somebody's going to witness God. God has always had a man that he could put his hand on and say, that's my servant. I can tell him to, what to do, and he will do it. And there was John the Baptist in those days, and Simeon and many of them, but Simeon being a man of great prestige. But yet the Holy Ghost revealed to him that he wasn't going to die until he had seen the Lord's Christ. What a relationship God had with Simeon. He didn't have it with anybody else, but he had it with Simeon. Simeon, I want to tell you, you're the man that I want to know that you're not going to pass away till you've seen my Christ. In other words, you're going to be a witness to this generation that my Christ is on the scene. Because when you go on this, off the scene, that means he's on the scene. Amen. Amen. And so God had a man that was there to identify that, that the word of God has been made manifest in flesh. And he took Jesus up into his arms and he declared him for what he was called to do and rejoiced in God. Oh, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. What a, what a heartfelt uh, experience for Simeon. What a rejoicing. Are you with me this morning? What a rejoicing. As the old man come to the place in his life says, Oh Lord, now I've seen it. My heart's desire, my life's desire has been fulfilled. Now you can take me home. Not I got a better car, I got a better house. Or I I, I got some more money, or I got the right level of bank account, or I got some retirement fund, or I got an inheritance to give my children, or, or something like that. That had nothing to do with it. Lord, my life's purpose has been fulfilled in seeing your salvation. Hallelujah. What a man of God. Hallelujah. Brother Brown says, you say, I love the Lord, but can you trust him? Can you trust him when the doctor shakes his head? Can you trust him when everything else is gone? He said, you need an overflowing baptism of love, divine love. When it seems like when your prayer, when you pray and your prayer is not answered, do you still love him? What kind of relationship do you have with God? I'm asking you tonight as believers, uh, sons and daughters of God, I want to ask you, if you prayed and prayed and prayed and God didn't answer your prayer, Maybe you're praying for your loved ones. Maybe you're praying for your health. Maybe you're praying for something else. But you pray and pray and pray, and it seems like God says, no, not yet. Do you still love him? Is that the kind of relationship you have with him? I say amen. 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 Brother Bradham got such a relationship with him. He says, even if he threw me down into hell, he says, I'd still love him. I would still love him if I feel the way I do now after all that he's given me. If all of my reward is just the blessings that he's given me upon this earth and he cast me into hell, he didn't believe he would, but he said if that's what he did, he said I'd still love him. Because of the relationship, you see, love is based on the relationship. He says, says, do you still love him? Is there something that keeps urging you on? God's sovereign grace has to take over. It's got to. It's God's nature. God can't do nothing else but do that. Now, what is he? He's making some statements here. He's saying, listen, if you're praying and you're believing and you're trusting God, 
Our relationship works both ways. You're trusting him. And he, you still love him, no matter that he hasn't heard your prayer. He says, won't that cause God's sovereign grace to turn around and produce the result? And so grace then is based on the relationship. When divine love is projected, sovereign grace comes on the scene and produces the result. All right, that was all background. Can I take some more time here? You're such a wonderful congregation. Praise the Lord. My prayer is for every one of you that you'll leave this place today and say, you know what? No matter what happens, I trust God. No matter what takes place, He's got it in control. That's the relationship we've been restored to that was broken in the Garden of Eden. When Adam sinned, he broke the relationship. Brother Ram uses that term many times. When Adam sinned, he broke the relationship. He kept his relationship with Eve, but broke his relationship with God. But God came down and provided a way of fellowship through the blood of bulls and goats. Now I want you to follow this, follow me through with this. Follow me with this on through to the end. Because not because Adam was a good person, but because of God's grace, he provided a way of fellowship through the blood of bulls and goats. But the blood of bulls and goats only brought fellowship. It couldn't bring us back to the relationship of sons and daughters. When God made a covenant with Abraham, he brought the relation of election by grace. But he didn't bring us back to relation as sons and daughters of God. It took the blood of Jesus Christ to bring relationship of sons and daughters of God. That through the new birth, we are brought back to relationship with God, to what we were intended to be, not servants. Not, not elected, not just fellowship, not just having a, a partial uh, connection with God, but now through the blood of Jesus Christ, which cleanses all sins, now we are back to sons and daughters of God, standing in his presence, spotless, Amen. virtuous, without blemish, perfect in his sight. Because when he looks at us, he looks through the blood of Jesus Christ. We have nothing to claim of our own works. But then I'll go a step further and say now, we've come down to the last days that the opening of the seals, the revealing of the mysteries now has brought us to a furtherance of the relationship and has brought us into an intimate or marriage relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So now that not only are we sons and daughters of God, but now we are brought into a bride relationship with Jesus Christ. To be a child of God, for God to be your father, you didn't need this message. Oh, that got everybody quiet. They had, they had a relationship of son daughter since the book of Acts. They were sons and daughters of God all the way down through the church ages. They were born again, sons and daughters of God. Is that right? They didn't need this message, but in the last days, in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall sound, all the mystery of God shall be finished. Why is that mystery finished? Because he's taking the church from a greater relationship from sons and daughters of God into a marriage covenant. 
the bride of Jesus Christ, the most intimate relationship that there is, that you might commune with God and God commune with you, that he might make known unto you the mysteries that he has hidden from every other age, revealed to you personally. Amen. Why? Not just so we can be, say, oh, well, we know all mysteries, but now we've come into a relationship that is greater than any other relationship that can be had with God. And to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. You're not my servants. You're not going to be around the city. You're not going to be in the rest of the city. But to the Laodicean church, he said, you're going to be right in my throne. You're the ones that are going to be closest to me. You're the ones that I chose to come in this age and receive the message of this hour. That you might be in a closer relationship with me than any other age. Only then can you go in a rapture. It's relationship. It's not just to be a son or daughter of God now. Now you must have a higher level of faith. Faith is revelation. And revelation brings relationship. It brings a connection to God. Brother Brown says there was no one with him when he trod the fierceness of the wrath of the fiery furnace. It was not another but him that hung on the cross and gave his blood. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the Alpha and Omega of our salvation. We are espoused to him and not another. We don't belong to the church. We belong to him. His word is law. Creeds, dogmas, bylaws, constitutions have no effect on us. Yes, it is Jesus alone who walks in the midst of the churches. It is God in her willing and doing of his good pleasure. Never forget that you have only one relationship to God, and God has only one relationship to you, and that is Jesus. And Jesus alone, he says. Not a church, not a creed, not a dogma, not a bylaw, not a constitution, not this, not that. You are connected to him by the new birth. And in the last days, you have been brought in perfect connection by a marriage union. Amen. I could talk about marriage, but I'll I'll just skip over that as having the necessary components in it. But it's only personal relationship with God that brings the word to you in reality form. See, Brother Brown's ministry was to get people to trust God. Just trust him. Just believe him. If you can get the people to believe, nothing will stand at your prayer. When God showed the people who they were, What was their problem? Then they could trust that it was God because they knew this man didn't know that. It's not the man that's standing there. And so they knew that God, it was God and that God cared and that he knew what the future held. All right, now we come to the crux of trust because trust is for the future. Trust isn't the past. Trust is what built, was built in the past. But when you trust somebody, you trust them because something is going to happen. 
Something is going, and that's why you're trusting. And that's why even Brother Branham, as he was, as he was looking for his own self, his own health, and in the early part of his ministry after he'd come back from South Africa and, and the amoeba and all of the physical infirmities that he had, he, he heard what the doctor said. He heard what the prognosis was. He, he knew what the science said, but he wanted to hear what God had to say about the situation. And he, and he, he just was wondering what, what, he, what he should do and, and how it was. And, and then God came down, the angel of the Lord came down and spoke to him and and finally, he said, and because you've been concerned about your future, and he flung those papers out there, he said, your future is clear. Amen. Amen. Oh, what a faith he had in God that he could stand there and says, oh, my trust is not in vain. He is indeed the rock of my salvation. He is indeed my hiding place. He is indeed the one. It doesn't matter what the doctors say. The doctors were saying, well, listen, you know, such and such a thing's going to happen. You'll get a temperature. It'll go to your brain. In a few hours, you'll be dead. That's what medical science said. But God said, don't worry. It's clear. Hallelujah. Don't worry about your condition. Don't worry about that pain that you have. Don't worry about that growth that you got. Don't worry about those kind of things. It's clear. Amen. Amen. That's the word of God. I am the God that heals all of your sicknesses and diseases. And your relationship tells you, I can trust him. The doctor says it's this, but I can trust him. The doctor declares this is going to happen, but I trust him. Amen. The economy says it's going to go this way, but I trust him. Oh, the governments are in disarray, distress of nation, perplexity. They lose their trust in each other. All of these kind of things are happening, but I trust him. What's, what's, the, what's the China going to do? What's America going to do? What's this country going to do or that country? It doesn't matter because I trust him. It doesn't matter who our politicians are. Because I trust him. Let the world have their politicians. Believe me, my wife could tell you, sometimes you get so frustrated hearing certain things and you wonder, is there any sanity left in this age? Is there any sanity left anywhere outside of the bride of Jesus Christ? Well, I can tell you one thing, I trust him. He alone is my rock. He alone is my salvation. He alone is the provider of my job. He alone is the provider of my healing. The medical science and medical, our Canadian medical health care system or your American health care system, it might crumble to pieces. That doesn't matter. God is our healer. Hallelujah. Mary and Martha only trusted one person. That was Jesus. They had family. Neighbors came. Friends came. They were all mourning Lazarus. They were all there in the house. They all had their advice to give. They all had everything to say. Try and comfort them. The world has their uh, levels of comfort. But when they, Martha heard that word, Jesus has come and calls for you. She was out of there. Thank you very much, but I'm gone. The one that I'm trusting in is drawing near. Hallelujah. The one that you're trusting in is drawing near this morning. Amen. He's near to where he wants to answer your requests. 
And Martha went to him and she says, Lord, whatever you say, that's exactly the way it's going to happen. You know, and Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And Martha says, oh, I know he'll come up in the resurrection. No, she said, he said, Lazarus will live, but he says, but I am the resurrection and the life. Amen. Believest thou this? And Martha says, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you're the one I have need of. I believe you're the answer to my needs. I believe you're the response to my prayer. I believe you're that one. And I'm here to meet with you. Amen. And Jesus came on the scene and granted unto her the desire. Job had many comforters. He had many counselors. He had lots of people to give him advice. Have you looked at it this way? Have you looked at it that way? Oh, have you thought about this? And have you thought about this? This really is the way God works. And that really is the way God works. Everybody had their idea, but Job knew better than that. Amen. Says, I have a relationship. Amen. I have a relationship. And until that one that I have a relationship with comes on the scene himself and answers my request, then I'll know what the answer really is. And he waited upon God and he listened to all of their advice and he, he put up with all of their doubts and everything like that. But one day God came by his way. Oh, I love the, I love the first chapter of Job. I began to look at it as I studied it a while back and hope this is okay. Even if it's not okay, I'm going to do it. But you know, it said, the sons, and the sons of God came to present themselves before God. Yeah. And I began to look at that in the context. And nowhere does Brother Branham say it's angels or anything like that. Really what it was was a church service. And Satan came amongst them. Sure, he's here this morning. And God said to Satan... Have you considered my servant Sterling? A perfect man in all his ways. Amen. Have you considered my servant Michael? Think about him. Think about his life, how he, how he came and how he left those other things behind. Amen. Have you considered my servant Megan? Have you considered my servant Daniel? God and Satan going on right now. Listen, they're agreeing with the word. They're saying amen to the word. Listen to them. They believe me. Amen. Listen to them. They trust me. Amen. And Satan, you know, he, 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 he tried to argue with God and he says, oh yeah, Job trusts you because you bless him. That's why Job trusts you. And God said, well, hey, listen, what makes you think God's, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. And God says, okay, you think so? I'll let you touch him. I'll let you take all the things that I blessed him with, and I'll let you take them away from him. And, and so, so all in a day, he took his, his camels, he took his cattle, he took his donkeys, he took his sheep, whatever more it was, even took his children and destroyed them all. And Job just stood up and said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. And so the next church service, he come back and says, now, have you considered my servant Ernie? He still trusts me. He still believes me. What do you think, devil? Listen, he's here this morning. Devil, what do you think of these people? They believe God. Devil, what do you, I'm not trying to bring trials on you. Don't listen. But think about them. They love God's word. They love this message. They recognize the resource of it. They realize it's their answer to the insanity of this age. 
They're believing. Then they know what kind of a message God has given them. They go through struggles because of the devil. They go through battles because of the devil. They go through difficulties because of the devil. And the devil even comes around the second service and says, now, you know, life for a life, man will give anything for his own life. You know, Job still has his own health and everything. He feels good, everything like that. Then, then God says to the devil, he says, all right, you can put your hand right on Job himself, but you can't kill him. Right. See, only God has authority to take life. Amen. Not even the devil. And so then Job got sick. We would say sick as a dog, whatever. He sat on the ash heap. He was covered with boils from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head. I'd been sicker than sick, ready to die. But in nothing did Job charge God foolishly. Even his wife, mercy, even his wife, the closest relationship he had on the earth, came to him and said, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? How'd you like to have that? His own wife. He had zero on the earth. But he said, my relationship with him still stands. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Though I lose everything on the earth, even my own, the use of my own body, and I'm sitting on this ash heap, he says, I still have a relationship with God. And it's what he speaks that matters. And he sat there on that ash heap, and the devil had nothing to do with it no more, even though he tried to get in the comforters, whatever else. But then God come on the scene and said, Job, I want you to know, though the skinworms destroy your body, yet in your flesh we'll meet again. Hallelujah. And Job stood up on that ash heap and declared to the glory of God, though his body completely fall to pieces, though the skin worms destroy it, though it becomes nothing, I know that in my flesh I shall see God. We are in relationship, and this relationship is eternal. And it's because of relationship that I can override every storm. I am connected with him eternally. He will not disconnect himself with me. He will not forsake me. He will not let the enemy override me. Anything that happens to me is because he allows it. And it's for my own good. No matter what takes place, it's God that I'm in relationship with. He is the one that is my great comfort. He is my joy. He is my peace. He's my all in all. He's my mother. He's my father. He's my sister. He's my brother. No matter what else takes place, though I lose everything in life. Everything. I have him. Because this relationship will never end. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't really have time to go into the last part. But it is literally, Brother Tom, what you prayed. In this house are many mansions. Ruth came to a place, a house. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Think about that now. And if I go to prepare a place for you, it's a relationship. I will come again. And I will receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Listen now, this word house, often we refer to it as a family or an ancestry or a progeny or the word house. Ruth came to a house. She came to a place that was prepared for her. Boaz had prepared a place, but as a man, he didn't know who he had prepared it for. He could look at the scripture and say, God, you said in your word it's not good for man to be alone. Where's my promise? And he could hold that there and build his house. And he became the Lord of the harvest. And he had property. And he had wealth. And he had many things. But he didn't have a wife. And no doubt he thought, what good is it all if I don't have a wife? Just like Adam in the Garden of Eden. What good is it all if I lose Eve? Are you with me? We're talking about relationship. There's got to be something more here. Relationship is not houses. Relationship is not lands. Relationship is not bank accounts. Relationship is not friends. Relationship is intimacy. And Boaz, there was something moving in Boaz that was moving in Adam because before it was moving in Adam or moving in Boaz, it was moving in God, the creator of the heavens and earth. And what good is all of it if I don't have relationship? I go and prepare a place for you, and because it's for you, I'll make sure I come for you, and I take you to the place that is prepared for you. We have, I have brought you into this world for a purpose, but this world is not your final destination. I'm preparing a place for you. And because I prepare a place for you, I want you to know you're mine and I'm yours. Hallelujah. Oh, my. That's why Boaz says to Ruth, don't go anywhere else. This is your home. She didn't recognize those words yet. But don't glean in any other field. This is your place. Imagine now she's gleaning in the place that she'll be owner of one day. She's gleaning in the place where she'll bring forth offspring to inhabit that place. She's right in that place where Boaz has connected himself. No doubt he's seeking God. Is this a woman? Is this a woman? Listen, I'm glad God is not like Boaz in that he doesn't know. He looked over this Laodicean age and said, this is the woman, and this is the woman, and this is the woman, and this is the woman. And I send my word by her way, and I say, don't go in any other field. Don't go in any other place. There's many other fields. There's many other kinsmen. There's many other places that have something to offer, but what I'm offering you is me. What I'm offering you is bride relationship to the bridegroom. There's a place that I have prepared for you. I go to prepare a place for you. You know, Hebrews chapter 3 describes it about Moses. And he says, I'm bringing it to a close. I'm just trying to wrap this up here. It says, Moses, who is faithful to him that appointed him, uh, 
It says, consider Jesus, the author of our, the high, and the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man, Jesus, was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, insomuch that he that builded the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. Now, here we go. Now Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those which were to be spoken after, but Christ as a son over his house, whose house we are. If we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing firm unto the end. Moses was faithful as a servant. He said, but this is a higher level. This is a higher level of relationship. Jesus was a son. In other words, Jesus was a son as in God in flesh. And he was faithful in redeeming his house. Paying the price for his relationship. Moses couldn't pay that price. Samuel couldn't pay that price. Abraham couldn't pay that price. Jeremiah couldn't pay that price. Isaiah couldn't pay that price. They were faithful servants, but now the son has come on the scene for a purpose to pay the price for a full relationship, bringing you all the way back into connection with God and has come in these last days. Always got to bring that up in this hour because the lamb who paid the price now has come forth to reveal the relationship that the bride has with the bridegroom. Amen. Amen. He's come, paid the price 2,000 years ago, and revealed the relationship in this hour. Hallelujah. God has not only paid the price, He knows every member of that marriage relationship with that bride as the musicians come. Brother Brown says in recognizing your day and its message. He says, man and his six senses has come along with his horse and buggy, trusting God. In the last 75 years, he quit trusting God. When they signed the Constitution of the United States, they put God in everything they did. Now they don't even have a meeting. They never even mention his name. They depend on the loftiness of their science, the cunningness of their science. The whole world is swallowed up in ignorance of the Bible. The whole world has turned from God. But just think, right out of the midst of all that, and the church denominations, and all the seminary lewdness and everything, God has took his prophet's word and chopped out a bride. Hallelujah. He said he would do it. And he's hewed from that thing what he promised he would do. What has he done? Brought you into relationship. Brought you to a place where you understand he that dwelleth in the secret place 
of the Most High. He's revealed a secret to Ruth. She came to abide in a place she didn't know. She came to the borders of Israel. She just made a basic confession. Maybe God dealt with you, delivered you from denomination, delivered you from the world, delivered you from drinking, delivered you from smoking, whatever it was he delivered you from. And all you knew is this God shall be my God. This people will be my people. I want to tell you a little testimony. Uh, You could play this as your house. This is my, your house. I was in Grand Prairie a few weeks ago. And Brother Darren told me a story of a, a woman that they had just baptized. So she came unto us out of nowhere. She just got in contact with us and came to church. She's actually Filipino for our Filipino brothers and sisters that usually sit up in the balcony there. And he said, he asked her, he says, well, how did you find out about us? She said, well, it's a long story. She said, but I I went to school with a boy. And we weren't close, but I knew him. And uh, we kind of lost contact just after school, as you do with your classmates. And she says, one day I met him in Thailand. I was working there, and he was there. Only, it wasn't really a boy anymore. He had become a woman. He had taken a perverted path of life and begun to change his existence. And she was shocked by it. And she said, how is that possible? But not knowing God or not knowing anything, it's just the way the world is going. And several years passed by until 2017, I think it was. She was home in the Philippines and she was visiting her family. And as she was in the town where she grew up, she saw the boy again. But now he was a man, not a woman. And she thought, she went up to him and she says, what happened to you? She says, I... I knew you here. He says, and then you were in Thailand as a woman. And, and he says, now, she says, now you look as normal a man as anybody. He says, I met God. Amen. And I found out God sent a prophet. Right. And God set me free from all of that perversion. And this woman said, I can serve a God like that. I can serve a God that can change somebody back to their normal mind again. And she said, she said, what, well, what do I do? He says, well, where do you live? She says, I live in Grand Prairie, Canada. And they, they searched and they said, there's a church in that city. You need to go to that church and you need to hear what I'm hearing. And she went home and she started attending church and it wasn't long before God dealt with her heart. And she was baptized in in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and received the power of God to this generation. What did it? She saw a man come back into relationship with God, changed him back into his right mind, and delivered him from all of the perversion of the world. I say glory to God. That's the kind of God that we serve. 
That young man didn't know that was available, but it came by his way. That's no different than the woman at the well. They wrote her off too. They said there's no hope for her, but the word came by her way and brought her back to her rightful condition, brought her back to her right mind. Why? Because the word was in flesh in that hour, and the word that was made flesh in that hour by the bridegroom is made flesh in this hour by the bride. God's word in full manifestation. Oh, don't you love him? Amen. Amen. If you don't love him this morning, don't you want to love him? Don't you want to be in relationship with him? This kind of a God that can put anybody back in their right mind again. Amen. Let's stand together. This is your house, Father. This is your house. This is your house.
Let's bow our heads together. We're living in a wicked, wicked age that the devil wants to take you places you don't want to go. Or maybe you're already there and you want to get out. You, heard just, you just heard a testimony that no place seems like is too far but what God can rescue you. Why don't you take a step like Ruth and say, this God shall be my God. And these people, not of a, not of a physical church, but these people, the elect of God, shall be my people. The ones whom God calls by his name. The bride to whom he has revealed his word. Maybe you just want to reach out in faith this morning as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and you want to just reach out your hand and say, God, come to help me where I am, oh God. You know my situation. You know all about me. And I'm going to trust you, Lord, to take me out. I'm going to put my hand in yours and I'm going to say, Lord, lead me. Lord, be my guide, be my portion, be my deliverer, my rock, my salvation. I come to rest under your wings, oh God. Take complete control of my life. Is there anybody here that wants to confess that? Want to say, Lord, I trust you completely this morning. I surrender all into your hands. Heavenly Father, Lord, you see the hands that are raised, and more importantly, Lord, you know every situation. You know every life. You know every burden. You know every trap of the enemy. And the enemy is nothing but a bluff. He might be able to trick somebody. He might be able to cause them to stumble or fall. But Lord, you're here to help them get up. You're here to inspire them, to fill them, to quicken them, to deliver them, Lord. And so we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, won't you come by the way of that needy person this morning and grant unto them, Lord, that which they have need of this morning. Father, these are your houses. These are your dwelling places. These are your tabernacles of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we give them unto you unreservedly and ask, Lord, that you'll have the preeminence in every life and in every situation. Lord, take the word this morning and apply it the way that you want it, Lord. It takes revelation of your spirit, Lord. It takes you to quicken it to lives and make real that which is upon them that which they've come into, that secret place, Lord, that they can dwell in, that you have prepared for them. Bless each one, Lord, we pray. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. Just before we go, let's sing that song we sang first, Draw Me Nearer, Nearer. I am thine, O Lord. I am thine.
second verse as the final verse. at the place you just want to stay. Hide me in the cleft of the rock till thy wrath be passed. God bless you. Brother Murphy will be speaking tonight and be ministering to us. Looking forward to that with all my heart. Amen. Shake one another's hand as you go. The service is dismissed in Jesus' name.